on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. With an all new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel. It's a very gray day in Los Angeles. It's also election day here. I know by the time you hear this episode, it won't be election day, but just know we're living in this sleepy hollow version of reality right now, which feels a little appropriate. I want to say that we'll know whether or not, you know, um, Rick Caruso becomes mayor of oh, LA. my hero. Um, I'm so kidding. By the time this airs, but I just want to point out some losers. Sure. Chris Pratt. Oh, you, you don't suck. say. You suck. <laughs> you don't you say. You suck. Um, also, his long rambling explanation where he's like, I've been in L.A. a long time and this is the city I love and it's really fallen to shit. Girl, have you walked these streets? I've not seen you out. <laughs> really pounding the pavement to get to those Jurassic Park auditions. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely not, loser. Um, and Katy Perry. Who had to show us the screen she was voting on with a, a smile on her face I've not seen since, like, Bob's Big Boy. And <laughs> Doing a, like, um, Laverne and Shirley um, jump kick into the air outside the polling place, too, in one of the slides on, a car- on her Instagram carousel. It's like, bitch, aren't you- you've already stolen a home from nuns and killed one of them. <laughs> uh, also, I did not realize she was appropriating Laverne and Shirley culture. Now I'm livid. Uh, <laughs> Because, by the way, there are some sitcom legends out there who are doing the work. Our friend Valerie Bertinelli slaying with the content on uh, uh, Twitter. So this is an, uh, uh, officially a Valerie Bertinelli stands only podcast. I think that um, I think Katy Perry is secretly a supervillain. The nun I thing, guess. not supporting Rick Caruso. Like, what's next? I, would, I mean, and whatever she did to Bonnie McKee. Oh my god. Well, we'll get into that. And I hope I hope the podcast community investigates that. Frankly. Got a Labani McKee. Um, yeah, uh I re- I regret loving her Vegas show, which I do think is one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen live. I I regret that she gave us a gay disgusting kid choice awards level gala performance that I enjoyed because this um upsets me. Yeah. Um basically every celebrity who's come out of the woodwork to be like Rick Caruso is great. It's it's extra maddening because they're all people who are like down for Obama, for Hillary, like you know, for Biden. Like we're supporting the blue. Always vote blue. But it's like you know what? You can't just be a voter. You also have to be an informed voter. Mm, now that seems like a huge ask, and I feel like you should. <laughs> you're saying a lot there to people who don't do a lot of huge asks. You know what I'm saying? The only person I like sort of whatever about is Gwyneth Paltrow because who expects her to um, be on the right side of anything? She's not even on the right side of us needing her 
back on a set again instead of selling whatever she's selling at Goop. Like, we want you acting. Yeah. No, she's only on the right side of a kitchen island. And I don't need to to see how she makes an omelet anymore. I've seen it before. But, um... Anyway, Play it's Sylvia always... Plath again or something. Yes. <laughs> Famously loves kitchens, Sylvia yeah. Plath. <laughs> One of the great kitchen act, act, <laughs> acting performances. Yeah. You give her some comment and she'll really <laughs> dig into the back of that oven. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Um, it's always weird recording this on election day, but at least it's not like um, actual um, presidential election day. That, that, the, the times we recorded those was dark. Yes. Anyway, I swear we won't be getting into this any other time during the episode. So, No, we'll talk about other depressing things. Yeah, I have to say, I'm not a fan of this episode in the onset. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> um, we are, we are going to talk about other celebrities we are disappointed with this week, um, including Drake and Rihanna. Vastly different reasons, but both same stench of awful of yeah. what of of bewilderment and uh it helps that their recent music outputs are bad too so that you're right is deeply helpful you're right yeah. like at least yeah at least there's if not like me up was a bop i'd be like rihanna yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm so angry um but i have not listened to that song since uh, no, it did not lift me. I'm firmly on the ground. And uh, we are also going to discuss uh, Selena Gomez's new documentary. Um, and, you know, Aaron Carter did pass away, too. Um, so we're also going to discuss his life. Um, I was going to say about him, obviously, I heard that immediately sad. I was piecing together pieces of his life I remembered that all individually just as it might first instinct all seem tragic but i was in a house full of people in palm springs and i have to tell you fully half the house did not know who aaron carter was and i Disgusting. that was even more disorienting yeah i no i can't put on a clinic right now i can't like tell you what aaron's party was or that you should have come to get it there were two there were um two parties that every kid wanted to go to. That's right. Aaron's party and an S Club party. Oh, please. S Club. The endorphins coming off that group. It's like 18s. I was soaring. Bouncing off the wall, you mean? Yes. Or bouncing <laughs> off the ceilings. More accurately, yes. Was the song bouncing off the ceilings or bouncing off the wall? Bouncing off the ceiling, upside down. Okay. Wow. Um, just like bed knobs and broomsticks? And also Lionel Richie. That's more dancing yeah. on the ceiling, but I feel the vibe is similar. Yeah. Do you think the 18s are mad that Mamma Mia stole their um, ABBA gig? Their whole thing? And that ABBA yeah. stole their ABBA gig. It's like, now yeah. we have ABBA again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who will remember the 18s? Well, the A-adults a now. So. Wow. A-adults? I'm not saying I'm not at that <laughs> concert, but you know. <laughs> There's a stink on it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's the uh, smell of beige lipstick, which is what ABBA gives us. <laughs> um, in better news, we are uh, delighted to have Jake Lacey as our guest this week, who is wonderfully delightful. 
thoughtful, cool person. I bring this up in the interview, but he he plays this disgusting character on this show called A Friend of the Family. It's based on a real story. This man who is a neighbor to a family of three girls kidnaps one of the girls, uh, uh, brainwashes her to a certain degree, and he is perfectly cast as this upstanding-seeming 70s guy, and it really reminds me of uh, Dan White, who the guy who killed Harvey Milk and George Moscone. It really has the vibe of... I just want everybody in the town to eat ice cream with me. And then inside, I'm a broken sociopath. That's interesting because you know what? I would not think of um, him and Josh Brolin having a lot in common because when I think yeah. of Dan White, I think of the movie Milk. Right. Yes. Lots of good performances in Milk. I don't think I've looked up much of like what Dan White looked like. But, oh, you know what? He looks very Jake Lacey. Yes, totally. No, in the times of Harvey Milk, the the feel is similar. You know who was very good in Milk, by the way? Here comes James Franco. I mean, yes. I mean, James Franco is amazing in it. Um, R.I.P. Um, <laughs> but I was going to say... Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Dennis O'Hare. Right. Yeah. No, it, 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 I mean, obviously, Sean Penn is frigging spectacular in that movie absolutely nailed it but uh allison pill too also remember she was on keep it right wasn't she talking a lot about like like physics or something it was it was a crazy interview cool person weirdo actor yeah then i want i was like remember when you were in a play with glenda jackson was she scary and she goes yes that was an awesome (laughs) that was awesome uh because i think she was in oh because she was a because she was in that alex garland series devs which Never Correct. came back. Yes. So. Right, right, right. That was Nick Offerman. Correct. Okay, moving on. Anyway, uh, we've got more Keep It coming up for you. So we'll be right back. So Drake lost his damn mind on his and 21 Savage's new album, Her Loss. Um, not just firing shots, but um, seemingly just closing his eyes and shooting at random. Um, the line that's getting the most attention, obviously, is when, um, he references Megan the Stallion and her, um, shooting from, um, that short Canadian, um, uh, Tory Lanez. Okay. I couldn't remember his name. I'm like, there's a lot of short Canadians out there, you know? Right. Um, you, don't, you don't want people to think Michael J. Fox did it, right? <laughs> I can see Michael J. Fox and Megan the Stallion having some beef. <laughs> but settling it amicably yeah uh, tracy pollen acts as intermediary yes he said this bitch lie about getting shots but she's still a stallion great which just a brilliant lyric oh my god <laughs> one for the ages did cole porter write that one no okay um and also sidebar serena your husband a groupie about alex ohanian which of course he is Every, right. like, who's not a fan I, 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 would, I would be happy to be Serena's groupie you're yeah. her groupie bitch no kidding <laughs> what, he, what, what, what exactly is the relationship they're supposed to have don't be a fan of hers at all or no, notice her legacy or anything yeah so I was obviously disappointed because I think um, keep it listeners know I am a um, on the record Drake fan sure um our our male taylor swift as it were 
I mean, that really sets my brain on fire. No idea what that could mean, but all right. I think we've discussed this before. I think they both have an obsession with charts, for one. I feel like they both sort of use their relationships with other people um, to propel them forward in, like, pop culture. Yeah, I I think they're, like... They're, like, building intrigue around their relationships, yeah. Yeah, and they both sort of, like... They both, like, sort of write about their relationships, too, in an interesting way. Um, And I think that they also both know, like, how the internet will respond to them and anticipate it. You know, like, um, the one thing about Drake is that, like, that we used to always talk about is the fact that he was always – he always knew that people were going to meme him and make fun of him, which is why you would – we started getting things like Hotline Bling where he was just creating a meme as a video before people could meme it, you know? Right, I think that he, like, gets there. Um, And interesting enough, it reminds me, this new album, Her Loss, uh, which I'll discuss in a moment, reminds me of just sort of Taylor's response post-reputation because he makes reference to the fact that people weren't really feeling his last album, Honestly, Nevermind, um, which, you know, was more of the, like, house and um, dance album, which came out right before Renaissance. And so, like, people paid it dust. Um, so for a couple really good songs on it. Uh, and I feel like this, al- this album is just sort of, like, back to basics Drake because he's like, okay, people didn't want me to do something different. And that's very much how Taylor feels when, you know, something of hers does isn't, like... Like, if this album wasn't as successful as it was, um, the current one, Midnight's All on the Charts... She would go back to doing folklore or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's back to basics almost. That's all it is. I felt, felt like listening to this album, I was listening to largely tracks that could have come out seven years ago. Yeah. Um, he sort of hasn't progressed as an artist. And it's sort of now just highlighting the fact that he's, I don't know, an asshole. Yeah. What is with that Megan the Stallion line? I mean, just what is why state it? Why weigh in? It's now a couple years old, right? It's just a strange journey to. T- I, I know you're saying like people. He wants to stir people up, probably get people interested, but just gross. I can't stand it. Yeah, I don't like it at all, and it makes it made me like really uncomfortable, even wanting to like listen to the album. Uh, luckily, it's bad. So, <laughs> uh, and Twenty One Savage is better than him on the album, and Twenty One Savage is weirdly relegated to like a. Um, featured artist um, on it, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm too busy with other albums right now anyway. Do you know whose new album I like? Are you ready for this? Phoenix? So good. You listening to Phoenix? Can you believe it? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Somebody put it on their Insta story and I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. Wow, I'm into it. Okay. Um, you, we, and also, we... excuse me, wait. Do you have... Barbara Streisand live at the Bonsoir. Let's talk about beats. Let's talk about <laughs> Listen beats. To it. Who who was tweeting about Barbara Streisand the other? Oh, Shirley Ralph was like um, tweeting about Barbara Streisand live at the Bonsoir. So, oh yes, if people don't know, in this in the early '60s, at the same time she was in, uh, I can get it for you wholesale. Her breakthrough Broadway performance. Barbara Streisand was doing this nightclub act at the Bonsoir. It went on for a long time. Kept getting extended. And initially, they recorded her at the Bonsoir as to, uh, for an album, and then instead did a studio recording of several tracks she does 
during this live recording, and that became the first Barbra Streisand album, which won the Grammy for Album of the Year, and that was the beginning of her recording career. So now they have instead taken these early recordings where she's barely 20 years old and uh, released it as her 57th album. Extremely strange. It's, It's like suddenly getting an album of like, here's the first time the Beatles were in a garage playing with each other. It just is, it's like, it's crazy that we're suddenly getting it now. And it is mm-hmm. I think I've seen that video on Xtube before. So. Oh, sure. <laughs> Xtube, wow. You in your late 60s? Yeah. Let's teach you a Twitter account. Um, I actually love when people make an Xtube reference. Because I, when I try to think about the interface for that website, it's it's, it's so confusing. Uh, well, just it's one of those sites where there's a hundred thousand buttons everywhere and things are popping up at you, right? And there's a lot of like images on the screen too. I'm like, I don't, I don't need to see all these random straight sex scenes happening in the corner as I'm no. as I'm looking for um, whoever. Those weird porn sites where it's like you can win fifty coins if you click on this video. You know, just like <laughs> lots of bullshit going on. Anyway. Um, uh, honestly, if you want to be reacquainted with the fact that Barbara Streisand is a fucking freak, uh, these vocals are just unbelievable. Her, it's like I feel like she's one of the few people ever who, as much as she wields power as a vocalist, dynamic control of dynamics and pitch and basic things that make a singer great. The way she throws around character is fucking crazy. We have nobody like that now who the minute they sing and like there's like a comic aside in the song or like a triumphant emotional moment. She really is like zooming between the between the extremes of being uh, a, a person. And I it's just it's just so amazing. And you can hear that you're about to meet a brilliant actress in addition to a huge singing star when you listen to this album. I know this is a conversation about Drake, but guys, this is the real fucking deal. Well, let me tell you something, you know, um, two iconic Jewish singers. So, OK, OK, OK. You're, so, you know what you're giving right now when RBG would be like Biggie Smalls and I are both from Brooklyn. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> Okay, listen, we are combating anti-Semitism with Drake and Barbara this week, okay? <laughs> I think um, we're helping, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Drake's helping. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I actually, speaking of albums that we haven't brought up um, yet, we talked about Carly Rae Jepsen's, but we have not talked about Tuve Luz. Which... We're st- I'm still getting over the indignity of having to say the words Tuve Lu. I mean, it just sounds like something a chimney sweep says to get in your house. But uh, It sounds like um, just something that like a German child is saying to you as they've stolen your candy. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, those are that's a menacing child, the, the Germans. Yeah, yeah. That's what Augustus Gloop was wailing as he drowned in the chocolate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> those are his last words, yes. <laughs> Before Roald Dahl went on killing kids or whatever. Actually, in the book, I, you, I, in the book of uh, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, at the end, all the kids wave to Charlie as he's in the air. So they officially are supposed to be alive, which surprises me because it seems like Roald Dahl has the heart of somebody who you know kills kids. Those are ghosts. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're they're not alive, Lewis. And oh, Charlie I in the see. Great no, glass, makes sense. Charlie in a great glass elevator. It's him going to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that's fucked up in that book, too. When, like, suddenly the grandparents are minus 20 years old or whatever. Don't bend time. Please don't bend time. Um, but Dirt Femme is a really good album. I will get on that. I'm surprised I haven't, actually. I guess I'm still absorbed in the Carly Rae album, which is 
continues to grow on me. At first, I thought it was a little um, cloying. Palm Springs by the pool, which I which I like, but then also that's we're like on your shrimps. personality. Yes, but except except <laughs> I need there to be something active in the hanging out by the pool, like we're dancing okay. by the pool as opposed to in a coma by the pool. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I would also say that I have gotten into um, the Arctic Monkeys' new album. You know, I that's always them. been your brand, though. I'm not surprised about that. Yeah, but they're, they 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 they've entered their um, lounge singer era. Meaning what? Me, well, meaning that like. The last album was very sort of like 50s, like, um, you know, Ocean's Eleven, Rat Pack, throwbacky, And this, okay. this album is less kitschy um, than the other one. Like, it's not like it's really like, oh, we're making like an album like this. But they're less in their, um, they're less in their like sort of like hard rock um era you know like, like they're, they're doing less of like sheffield like grunge like they were doing like that, that we know them from like you know like yeah, right. um uh i bet you look good on the dance floor you know like right. um that kind of music they're they're now like they're relaxed um and it's not i mean alex turner has a great fucking voice so he sounds good singing anything but it's it's interesting to see them go from like hard sort of like dance rock to this and i love that in interviews too they're sort of like you know, that Jay-Z line, you know, sort of like, buy my old albums if you want that old shit. Because, like, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, right. No, I mean, like, I'm sort of intrigued by the lounge singer angle. I just think we need greater Robert Goulet literacy in this country altogether. People last remember yeah. him as a Will Ferrell character. And I think there's uh, some awesome vocals going on there. Yeah, just anything Bacharachian, you know. I, I, w- I wish people still cared about that stuff. Well, we don't care about Burt Bacharach anymore because no one's watching American Idol, Lewis. And oh, that's right. Can famously, you what American Burt Idol would get away with? Night? Yeah, I don't want to be clear. This was a sensation television show, maybe <laughs> among the ten biggest shows of all time, and they would throw a Bacharach night. I mean, it just really boggles the mind. And then you would see someone give like a C minus performance of not walk on by Kelly nailed that, but a C minus performance of anyone who had a heart or a song that would never be on the radio now. Or um, we got we got a lot of got a lot of renditions of I say a little prayer, right? And as you know, I prefer the Dion version to the Aretha version, which I think is could make me neocon, but that's how I feel. <laughs> you know what? D- Dion put her. Um, <laughs> God, let's hear what she put in it. <laughs> I couldn't even figure her whole war wussy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I couldn't even figure out a way to get there. Yeah. <laughs> She put her whole lied witch and Warwick up in that yeah. uh, rendition. <laughs> her whole okay. psychic friends network was up in that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The, no, I love I love that rendition. Underrated, uh, Dionne Warwick. To be honest, I mean, I know that we I know, love no, her. It's we love her the way Twitter she... stuff and the psychic friends network. But I feel like not enough attention is paid to her early singing days, which are like she is fucking amazing album it's an she's an immaculate voice that it's like it's never pushing but it's very emotional it's like it's a voice that draws you in it's not like exploding at you she's not a belter closer to someone like a karen carpenter than an aretha for example but um uh, yeah no i'd watch uh, todd haynes's um dion warwick film 
which she could still contribute to. I'm sure she has a, yeah. I think she has a really strong working memory of all those times too. She gives, she has given some spectacular interviews. Yeah. Um, By the way, this reminds me while we're on this topic, you just brought up Todd Haynes. Do you know what I've been in denial about? And I think I'm ready to accept Ryan okay. Murphy should do a Madonna series. I think he would be reverent to the things that would be exciting to watch in a TV show. And I think it could be his crowning moment. I know people are like a little um, ODing on him, you know, over the past, whatever, seven years, we've gotten so much content from him. And, you know, sometimes it's the people versus OJ and sometimes it's the politician. But um, I think he would slay it. I think he would slay it. Yeah, I think think he'd be good. I think he would, I think he'd pay... Yes, you're right. The right amount of reverence to her. And also being critical and also like making it dimensional because he's somebody who you know is like an obsessed fan, you know? Yeah. Also, they're both crazy. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. It works out <laughs> together. Um, I thought you, I thought you, when you were talking about Todd Heads, uh, I thought you were about to be like, you know what? I hate Far From Heaven. <laughs> I, actually, I actually think Far From Heaven is more three stars than four stars, but the performances are great. And also, why didn't Dennis Haysburg get like 20,000 rolls of that size afterwards? It upsets me. Uh, racism. You shouldn't tone the word racism more often. <laughs> racism. Um, actually, I think it was that plus he was stuck on 24. Oh, right, right, right. He, yeah. he was in a prison and Alicia Cuthbert was the warden. I mean, speaking of Fox series that were massive, right? Like, yeah, the ratings were like big. American Idol twenty four. Um, I agree with it being three stars, though. I think all, obviously all that heaven allows is um, better. The Cirque film, yes, um, right, and better in that trilogy is the Fassbender film, um, Ali Fear Eats the Soul. Now, speaking of Fear Eating the Soul, Rihanna, uh, what's going on there? Okay, so. Rihanna, you know, has her Savage X Fenty drop. Um, she loves this fashion show um, that's become like a production um, every year. It drops on Amazon. And every year I hang out at a gay's place and it plays in the background. It's mm-hmm. like a perfect like video to put on to like look up and watch um, periodically. Um, While I'm facing the other direction and eating cashews, yes. Yes, but she put Johnny Depp in this one. And I want to say, first of all, I don't care what your thoughts are on Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Who wants to see that man in underwear? No, absolutely the fuck not. Nor, nor, I don't want to see his facial expression as he walks by us either. There's just... I mean, like, it, it feels like the uh, the Rihanna version of voting for Rick Russo. I mean, it's just, uh, what? She probably Why? did. Right, I guess. <laughs> she probably it's did. Just... I always forget that she's sort of, um, I think Ray Saudi on Twitter said that we always forget that Rihanna is kind of a bozo. Bozo. <laughs> very <laughs> underrated insult. Because <laughs> she does a lot of very silly things, like... Supporting Sean King, you know, um, mm. she'll do things like that, and you're like, ah, okay, we get it, right? But you're too busy standing, so you know, you don't stick with that thought, you don't stay on that mm. thought. Um, yeah, uh, also, there's just something about like Johnny Depp in general where it's like, haven't you seen the internet has treated 
this whole thing disgustingly i mean i don't i don't mean to say people standing up for like domestic abuse victims is disgusting i absolutely do not mean to say that but like johnny depp has proven that he is disgusting we have the text to prove it we have there's no denying that he is vile there's no denying that he was um awful to her i I don't anyway regardless of what you think of her which that's a whole other can of worms but i don't know this just deflated my entire morning when i heard this yeah and it's there's nothing about him that's even hot right now no no and actually people are clowning on him and like you know saying oh it looks like jack sparrow at your aunt's garage sale or whatever things like that but jack sparrow was attractive that's right. In the first Critically. film, Jack Sparrow was attractive. Like now, he looks like Jack Sparrow um, left on an island, you know, for uh, twenty years with no food or water. He looks like Caliban in the Tempest. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Caliban receiving his Kennedy Center honors fifty years <laughs> later. After, after, yeah, uh, I mean, what else is there to say about it? Come on, Rihanna. Come on. No one wants also, to see that. Also, it's like he's putting him. She's putting him alongside like Simu Liu. Like, you yeah. think he's w- wanting this to fly? Uh, who else is it? Cheryl Lee Ralph too. Yeah, like like sexy people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's 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 also wild that like he's one of those people who you can't even tweet his name now without being swarmed. I can't think you know? of another person who is that who conjures that kind of reaction other than Michael Jackson. It is that level. Yeah. And um, to call that a reaction is understating it wildly. I just want to also say about Michael Jackson quickly. Do you know what is so funny? When somebody is dancing at like a party and they even 1% dance like Michael Jackson. It's like stop. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's like a jerky thing they do. It's so funny. It's like the funniest thing you can do. <laughs> It's so intense and, like, antisocial, kind of. Yeah. All right. Well, those are the celebs who've disappointed us this week. Anybody else you're disappointed with? Yeah. Come with me to the Bone Soir. It's fun there. (laughs) All right. When we're back, we're joined by Jake Lacey. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I 
throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You know him from roles in The Office, Girls, High Fidelity, where he plays a perfectly nice person. And then you know him from roles like Carol, the White Lotus, and now a friend of the family where he's an asshole. So <laughs> we're delighted to welcome the Keep It, Jake Lacey, to find out which one are you? Yes, yeah, solve this for us. <laughs> you know, I don't think I'm as extreme as uh, Shane and the White Lotus or um, or uh, certainly not Robert Burge told in uh, A Friend of the Family, but, but uh, probably like uh Fran on uh, girls is is honestly like closer in retrospect maybe in hindsight than I than I want it to be you know I want to <laughs> say by the way that uh Jake Lacey has arrived and he's wearing a Braves cap that's a Braves cap right I'm not an expert on this matter uh, okay great Bo- Boston. Boston Red Sox. Oh Boston okay moving on it's Boston <laughs> and uh, a sweatshirt and he he you seem like a quintessential Jake Lacey character right now I just want to which is <laughs> You you live in the roles, so to speak. The, not not the uh, not the uh, Burge told one, but the other ones. I love like uh, I love style. I love like menswear. Uh, like, but I also feel like uh, at my truest sense, like this is just me, you know. And like yeah. anytime I put on too much of a thing, 
it's like when a little kid like wears their dad's like work clothes. You know, I look like I've put on a thing to go like, oh boy, that normal just average guy thinks he's really something, huh? So ultimately, <laughs> as much as I go like, oh, this double-breasted cashmere, love it, at, like live for it. But uh, almost every day, jeans and a t-shirt. I went into a this wonderful store, Drake's, years ago, and I was like. I'm going to get this tie in this Oxford. And I, I'd been in there a handful of times and the kid who was working the counter was like, I'll sell you these, but I've never seen you walk in this store in an Oxford and a tie. <laughs> like every time you're in here, it's a hoodie and jeans. Like, I, you know, I, I'll gladly sell you those, but I don't know what, <laughs> what you're doing outside of here where these are of use. This guy was onto your denial. He's like, yeah, go ahead and own this shirt. Who knows if you'll ever see yeah. it again in your closet. Yeah. I was like the most seen by some guy who <laughs> had seen me twice in this store. I was like, oh, that cuts deep. Thanks. <laughs> well, you know, you're Boston. You look ready to host Pod Save America is what you actually yeah. look like. You're ready. <laughs> yes. So, me, Favreau, that's great. ready to rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, you live in Connecticut now, don't you? Yes. Well, I don't know if it'll stick, but that's we've been here for a year. Um, okay. We lived in Brooklyn for a long time and uh, – Got a couple of kids and it was like, oh, it'd be nice to have a little more like a backyard, you know, like room to roam. And I don't know that we'll stay where we are, but uh, it is nice to the lifestyle is very nice. So I have two friends who live in Connecticut. They left New York um, to do that, too. Now, just you have you already are presenting your Boston identity and then you had a Brooklyn identity. So, like, what is Connecticut like for you? Well, I used to rep like a socks cap in the city and get no love, you know, understandably, because like if you wear a Yankees cap in Boston, people just light you up as quick and as hard as they can, you know? Um, so I was like, I know I'm, I'm, you know, like a cop on a platform one time I walked by and he was like, Boston sucks. And I was like, ah, right. Like <laughs> good stuff. And just like stone face, you know, like there was no kind of, uh, camaraderie and a mutual hatred he was just like move it along so uh always repping the socks and uh my wife i think says it the best where she's like i want to be the most basic person i know like i i don't want more basic friends than what i've got you know what i mean like um so in brooklyn i felt like that was possible you know where i was like i'm the i'm the preppiest most average basic dude i know that's fine and, you know, and you go out to the burbs, it's a little different. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're like, oh, we're all basic white guys out here. Uh-oh. Yeah. It's the Victory Project. So, so that's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're trying to sort out, like, can we vibe here for the next 40 years? Or uh, is this a nice, like, stopping off point? And then we figure out, you know, like, we still go into Brooklyn all the time. Like, I still get my kid's hair cut in there. You know what I mean? Like, I just got, you know, too attached. Now, wait, speaking of the suburbs, I guess this would technically be a suburb. It's very Americana where a friend of the family is set. But in yeah. the show, if people don't know, it's a Peacock show where you play a neighbor to a family of uh, 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 Colin Hanks and Anna Paquin are the parents in that fa family. And they have a daughter whom you kidnap. And uh, yes. there's an entire series of ways you manipulate her. And uh, it, it's really shocking to watch. And it's also based on a real story. Um, but something that stands out to me about your performance is there is something extremely 
familiar in the suburban creepiness of your character. Uh, I was saying beforehand, I wanted to tell Ira, I didn't get a chance to. It, you remind me of Dan White from Milk, the guy who kills Harvey Milk and uh, right. George Moscone. And there's something... I don't know. There's something so specific about like a guy who thinks on some level he is upstanding as he does all these horrible things. And I was wondering what into what went into becoming this real life person. You know, we talked a lot about um, his place in that community and, and uh, that in this era and in the circumstances of, you know, the, the, I think, innocence and this kind of trusting nature and naivete that came with being in Idaho in the seventies in this LDS community. And, um, that if, if you're like the new guy in town, you can kind of define your place in this community if you are of a certain mindset and that, uh, we, I would continually frame it along with, uh, you know, Rebecca Gregg, who did the, the costumes, just wonderful, wonderful person to work with that he thinks he's like Steve McQueen. He yeah. thinks he's like Danny Ocean, you know, is, is like, uh, he's living this other life that he's like, I've been to the outside and I've come back and you don't even know what's out there. You know, that he's this kind of, uh, in his mind is like a rogue, badass leading man kind of thing. And, um, and that if you tell enough people, that's who you are. Some of them believe you. And so he is both playing within the framework of what's acceptable as a, a Mormon father and a member of the church and a member of the community and a husband. And, and then at the same time is also uh, in the way he dresses and the way he carries himself, kind of letting you know, like, I'm other. I'm out here on the fringe. I'm exciting. I'm different. I've seen the world. and that starts to create a space where as he does things that are, you know, uh, uncomfortable for others, he's in a community where people don't speak up and say something and say like, why are you, why are you in my yard raking my leaves? You know, that he frames that as like, I'm a good neighbor. I'm helping out. And the reality is that he's like breaking down boundaries so that when he breaks down horrific, uh, boundaries, it's normalized, you know, or that it's normalized enough that people don't say anything. Um, so I think that, you know, that's a rambling winding answer, but that was the, the way in, I think, toward creating uh, a space where he could uh, take what he wanted and sort of flourish under the radar um, in an otherwise normal seeming town and community i hope that answers the question it does yes oh definitely i'm in it yes uh well i mean what i actually think is sort of the similarity between that and even the white lotus is about they're both observations of sort of societal norms and when you think of like true crime too um and growing up in the suburbs as you know lewis and i both did um well, i grew up more in the city in milwaukee but the, the sort of norms that you have and when you watch things like this, like how do people get away with things like this? There's this idea that, you know, everyone is in it, their sort of correct place, you know, and 
no one is no one is crazy like in a place like this if you're in an enclave like they're afraid of the big city um people in that time would be but they think that the suburbs you know like you're safe here and then i think of like white lotus like i don't i hated your character in parts but i also agreed with your character in parts because there was sort of this idea that you should just go along with being lied to or things being wrong with like a hotel or something on vacation but then you breaking from the norm and being like wait no some of this is crazy and i should be angry you know yeah the you know um in terms of the white lotus like i think what mike does so brilliantly is that hopefully you see what everyone wants and what they're coming up against and in some ways can side with their needs and wants, but uh, not with how they carry themselves and the things they do. You know, like when we were doing press for White Lotus, I feel like people would get a little like, uh, when I'd be like, you know, Shane's right. He, <laughs> he paid for a room and he didn't get it. You know, people were like, oh, that's sort of fun. And I was like, no, for real, like that dude paid for something. And then a guy lied to him about it. And when he called him on it, the guy lied again. You know, like, he then goes crazy in terms of obsessing (laughs) over it instead of, like, enjoying his honeymoon. But at the core of it, like, that guy paid an extreme amount of money for a very nice thing and then didn't get it. And if I had paid, I mean, like, like in reality, I asked Dave Bernat, who was the, you know, creative producer on White Lotus, and I was like, when we were filming at the hotel, I was like, what do these rooms go for in reality? And he was like, this suite's like $20,000 a night. I was like, if I had paid $20,000 a night for 10 days and someone was like, whoops, I'd be like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, no, no, you could buy a house for the amount that I'm spending here for a week. Like, give me the, give me the thing I paid for, man. You know? I mean, most people don't admit how angry they get over $20, a minor inconvenience. So I get it. I got it. You know, I think, you know, people asking you that question would sort of be like, they don't want to admit times that they've gotten angry. I think in a way it's like the flip side is true with a friend of the family um, in which, you know, the whole, the whole point from certainly Jan's perspective, I mean, real life Jan's perspective is saying like silence is the thing that, that perpetuates this. The fact that multiple people along the way. And as you see, I think by episode seven, you realize or come to find out that the church knew, you know, the Birchtold had come to that, that Birchtold had, attempted to be inappropriate and intimate with Nicole, the daughter of the bishop, and she had called him on it. And when he was confronted, Birchhold admitted that he had this, what he termed an affliction, and was working on it and then asked for repentance. And because the tenets of the religion are such that forgiveness and repentance are foundational elements they didn't report it to the police or tell the birch toll, uh, the Brobergs, even though he'd already been assaulting Jan and admitted to it. This is before the first abduction. And so years later now, it comes out that they knew. 
And that story point isn't to point the finger at the church as much as to say like, this shame and discomfort and silence is the thing that allows predators to continue to prey on victims, on families, on children. Um, so in terms of like the sort of not uh, just the discomfort in saying something, um, you know, on the extreme ends, I didn't get the room I wanted. And, and on an actual like life or death trauma kind of level, um, not saying something when you know something's wrong, you know, or when your gut tells you like, that's not right. That person, you know, touches people for too long, that hugs too long, the way they look, the thing, you know, it's like the way they look at a child, the way it's like, say something, you know? Um, and Jan, Jan, you know, real life current Jan is like, it's really hard to have those discussions when it's someone close to you, which it usually is because no one wants to put grandpa in jail. You know, it's like the term that she says. And I'm like, ah, yeah, it's easy to go like the man lurking in the shadows, put him away. But when you go like my favorite softball coach, my favorite math teacher, my neighbor, you know, that's a really hard thing to do. Um, I think something that's interesting about you is I feel, and Ira indicated this, but your characters, I find often uh, have big scenes where they express the indignity they're in, including like White Lotus, even uh, this current character, even though he's a big manipulator. I feel like you're the kind of person who could watch something you're not in and be like, oh, that's, that's a role I could have done. Do you, are you constantly watching things and thinking, oh, that's a Jake Lacey role? Because I think even I could do that. And I'm like getting a hold of my reps and being like, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. <laughs> What's it going to take, guy? Um, I, that's funny. I don't, the only times that I feel that way is when I've auditioned for something and I don't get it. And then I see someone, you know, who got it and, and either go like, wow, that was 100% the right call or, you know, have a little like fire of like, come on, (laughs) I want to, come on. I want to, I want to get in there. I would have loved that. Like, I, I think I mean, the most recent example that I can really think of is like before they made the bear, you know, before it was cast, like that script was out there and, and it was sent my way, not as an offer, like just to go like, Hey, you're probably too old for this and probably not the right type, but it's out there. And if you want us to reach out to the creatives and see if they want to set up a meeting. And I read it and I was like, Oh man, like I'm not, I'm not right for this, but this is so great. Like, I would love to, to meet on this. And then before that could even happen, Jeremy was cast. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's perfect. That's so good. Like that guy is great and he's exactly right for this. And I can't wait to see what he does with it. And, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful feeling to, to like think material is good. And then know enough of myself to go like, I'm not the guy for that. You know, like I'm just, there's also times where like, you know, if you're lucky or if I'm lucky an offer for something or, you know, and it's like, he's intimidating just by stepping into the room. You're like, no, no, like, <laughs> you know, the reason that like maybe this, uh, Shane works or a friend of the family is that like, you know, just look like a basic bro. <laughs> and then 
whether that's that like I'm actually a, a entitled douche or you know manipulative pedophile who's using that kind of seemingly ho hum blandness to my advantage uh that ends up being more my sweet spot than like whoa look out this guy's gonna crack skulls you know like just you come to know what your what your strength is or or kind of where you can fit in in a way watched bull durham recently and i was like let's remake bull durham like i'd like to be the costner role five years from now you know what i mean like it just a lot of the Costner stuff, I'm like, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do Field of Dreams. I'd like to do, you know, like, I like what's going on there. How do I do wow, that? Wow, that's an awesome instinct to be like, to. Like, I mean, I, first of all, I love Susan and Bull Durham. Great performance. But second, but you're right. Those are kind of movies that are like, that up till like even 10 years ago, I feel like everybody knew. And now I feel like you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who knows Bull Durham really well. It's on Delta. <laughs> yeah, right, I, I, I I almost watched it on my flight back to LA, but I watched Days of Thunder instead because um, <laughs> I love Tom Cruise. But um, Bull Durham is a kind of like the Kevin Costner movie archetype is also a thing that's not around anymore. I feel like it's almost too um, easy going. You know, like he as a presence is wonderful. And, you know, like, man, I don't know how to explain it. Like, in Field of Dreams, when he goes into the feed store and he asks the other farmers, like, he goes, you ever hear uh, voices out there? And they go, you hearing voices, Ray? And he's like, no. <laughs> like, he plays it so easy and grounded and, and kind of gentle in a way that you get to kind of go along with him on the story. Um, now I feel like it the expectation is for that to be a bit, you know, for it to be kind of geared up or to be like darker than it is. <laughs> but there's this kind of gentle, I mean, in that case, literally Midwestern like story and, and another baseball movie, but like passion for the <laughs> beauty of the game of baseball. Um, yeah. I don't know if that exists now. Or if it could exist, like if there'd be an audience for it other than, for me, it's like a nostalgia factor to go like, turn back the clock. Let me just, let me live in 1991 for a minute (laughs) (laughs) and I'll get back to, will democracy survive? I mean, that character isn't even really a lead, I would say, in like TV so much anymore. It's, it sort of fits into your roles, I would say. You know, you're, you, you're opposite a lot of really great women. You know, yes. um, mm-hmm. Lena Dunham, Zoe Kravitz, you know, it's, uh, I like, I Mary Kay loved Blaise. you. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I loved you in High Fidelity, you know? And like, even in Girls, I remember being like, I want this relationship to work out, you know? And I feel like, I don't know, like, Nora Ephron probably would have enjoyed casting you. Oh, man. I think you'd be great in like Lucky Numbers, if you remember that movie. Yes, I do. Yes, I'll take it. My friend Steve Zahn from from White Lotus had worked with her, and he was like, she was she was incredible. She was the best. You know, he had a. Well, I'll let him tell that story. But yeah, I I uh, (laughs) I I would have loved that. Yes. Um, um, do you, uh, you uh, looking back over your, some of your movie roles, first of all, being the Ricardos, there's Carol, there's, uh, 
uh, Diane, which a movie more people need to break, uh, watch, which stars Mary Kay Place as a, a, a mother kind of on the brink, and you're her son who is not doing well at all. But yeah. do you have a favorite um, kind of moment acting alongside these, like, like the Titanic female performances, like often getting read the riot act in them. In fact, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a scene in Diane, um, that's, uh, you know, close to home for me. And, uh, um, I'm, I'm at a diner at a, like a little kind of hometown cafe with, with Mary Kay. And, um, I haven't seen her since I got cleaned up. I've just kind of gone off the, off the radar for a bit and um, meet up with her. And Kent Jones, who wrote and directed that, had written a lovely piece there, you know, in, the, in the, this kind of eating scene. And, uh, and I was like, hey, man, can I just do, can we do one where, I, you know, I'll keep some of this and also kind of like move it around a little. And he was like, I have like what's written, that's fine. And there's just like, Mary Kay is so wonderful. And it was, she's like such a generous um, person to be with, you know, acting opposite and to spend time with. And um, just talk, just getting to say, like, I think I say something about like, it's just really raw. It just really hurts mom, you know? And like this, this, the kind of like frayed feeling when you're coming out of, um, a life of like active addiction and starting to like the clouds, the fog starts to <laughs> shake a little and you start to kind of see and feel life again. And it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to be present to things. Um, that scene, you know, and she was so right there, you know what I mean? Like she was just entirely, it's so rare that you, really really get to be like with a person like that uh acting it was wonderful yeah so that one like means a lot to me she you both are really great in that and i would say like it's it's nice to see her in a dramatic role like that too i feel like i would be on set constantly asking her about private benjamin (laughs) (laughs) which i which i think is one of my top 10 movies uh unfortunately you know Uh, he and Mary Kay had, you know, he'd admired her for years and years. And and then they were like judges at the Amherst Film Fest or something, you know, the Berkshire Film Festival. And they did it one year. And then the next year they were both back there. And he's so lovely. And he was like, you know, Mary Kay, I um, wrote a script for you. I Could I give it to you? <laughs> you know? And he's tighten in his own right and uh and she was like absolutely you know and um it's just so wonderful that someone like her who is a fantastic actor and has sort of had these supporting roles and every time is incredible for someone like kent to go like i wrote this for you (laughs) i've seen what you can do and i don't know if like the world has gotten to see that and i have this very personal story and i and we like find the middle together you know um just so cool (laughs) i think it's so wonderful to go like i I don't know people write things for kevin hart i wrote this for you (laughs) you know what i mean like (laughs) 
around the world. Would you want to do it? You know, <laughs> Dwayne Johnson, I wrote this for you. But like, I don't think that people like knock on an actress over the age of 60 and say, hey, this is I've got this thing where I'd like you to lead the story. Like, I don't think that happens. And man, I, I did. Yeah, it wasn't until I saw the movie that I was like, oh, I get it. I felt like even making it, I was like, what are what what am I a part of here? What is this going to be? And then seeing it was like, oh my god, Kent, you this is fantastic. Yes, small but very existential movie and um, memorable if, to everybody who's seen it. Uh, I also just want to shout out that Mary Kay Place was amazing as the mother on Lady Dynamite, the Maria Bamford uh, Netflix oh. show. Let me throw that out there. Um, but other, okay. Jackson, mom on uh, Kimmel, maybe. Uh, Maria did like a five minute set. She's never been on before. They have her on and she basically is like, my mom passed away six months ago. And like, it's remarkable. It's, it's a, like a perfect five minutes. And it's so entirely her, but it's, I mean, it's just wonderful. If you haven't seen it, it's so great. I think she's remarkable. The special, 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 <laughs> special. Is that the other one? Uh, Jake Lacey, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I will be thinking of you throughout the White Lotus, even though you are not honest this season. And also, um, I will be my my bones will continue to be chilled as I watch you on this Peacock show. <laughs> awesome! Thank you very much for for watching and uh, for having me on. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, very nice to meet you. Same. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a this summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home. Former child pop star Aaron Carter died tragically at the age of 34 this weekend. While Selena Gomez has already received some backlash over her documentary, My Mind and Me, which gives a vulnerable look into her own battles with mental health. So while the two former child stars have walked different paths... How has being thrust into the spotlight at such a young age affected the growth of young artists? And has it been worth it for so many of them? I mean, 
can talk about Aaron first. That was really just it was a random gut punch because you know it's I think that we're obviously you know used to um older celebrities dying lately um and we'll we discussed them on the show, but it feels like a while since someone young that we sort of grew up on died so tragically and randomly yeah no it it almost feels like the uh child star into adulthood death thing is a trope of the past like something that we would have seen in the 80s and 90s a lot really but um yeah he's one of these people where like you were aware he was estranged from his family and also like he would do things like pop up on OnlyFans and um you would also see him, first of all, every time I went to Gay Pride in Chicago, he was performing there. So it's not like he wasn't sort of like giving it his all as a performer, you know, like well, as one in like thing about working, gays, gigging, et cetera. Yeah. They do want candy. Right. No, he he said, here's my demo. <laughs> Take me to market days. Um, but at the same time, um, I struggle a lot with like his death is tragic. Nobody should die at 34. But I guess as a Karen Carpenter stan, who also died around the same age, something about me cringes at the at just looking at someone's short life as a tragedy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like uh, her her brother, for example, Richard Carpenter says, you know, she had a lot of joy in her life too. And I I don't think he's papering over the hardship she faced either. You know, uh, a part of me wants to say like, let's find the ways that he enjoyed life and also celebrate those i'm sure that was evident those ways were evident to us as he's somebody who you know was performing up until you know recently i think that's uh, a good way to look at that because i mean even the highlights that he had in his career are more than most people will achieve ever right totally just like yeah being a global superstar being on tv um having fans love you um the highlights in someone's life when they are um a pop star you know despite the bad things that come with it like those are those are really big highs and that's why people do it right right exactly um but uh, i I was touched by what hillary duff posted also hillary duff good poster I, i just in general have become more of a fan of hers thanks to things like instagram yeah she writes really sweet things like that but she's also like funny and has a sense of yeah. humor about herself. Realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Can she go um manage um Reese Witherspoon's social media? Yeah, that gets tough for me occasionally. <laughs> also remind me remind me to bring up Reese Witherspoon during uh my keep it this week. It, it, okay. it doesn't involve uh, her the way you think, but uh, I'll oh, do that. Okay. But um, um so anyway, uh Aaron Carter's death extremely sad, but I hope we think about it dimensionally. What is going on with Selena Gomez right now? Well, so this is a thing, too, where her documentary, My Mind and Me, uh, was released on Apple. And uh, Alex Kashizian, who directed Truth or Dare, directed yes, this. Yes, and also co-wrote W.E. What range with Madonna, anyway? Which is wild, because this film involves a controversy with W.E., but not the movie, the... um the um the charity group oh right yes not the same yes yeah um so you know he's just he's just following i think he's just following pop stars around who um like the letters w and e (laughs) 
<laughs> you would think that would be a very niche circuit, but it's working out for him. Okay. Oprah's next. Okay. <laughs> my favorite pop star, Oprah. Oh, God. <laughs> we TV. When she comes on at Glastonbury, my arms are in the air. Yeah. yeah. Only because we TV is the enemy of oxygen. Um, right. But um, here's the thing about this documentary. You talk about the the highs that people get from being a pop star and then, you know, the dark effects of it. I watched this and I'm like, girl, get off the stage. <laughs> yeah, stop. For the large part of it, it really seems like she hates her job. Which, I, I, which by the way, I kind of stand, you know. Of course, in a, yeah. You know, I, any, like, in, you know how every gay kind of stands the movie Vox Lux, even though it's pretty bad? You know, yeah. the thing we like is the rottenness of the stardom, you know, the thing in the stardom that's like, ugh, I have to deal with. It's not that you have to deal with fans. It's that you have to deal with delirious fans. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. Um, what was that? that um, this old Madonna interview where she talked about how she liked when the fans came up, but the fans who came up were always the ugly ones. <laughs> this is like some old interview of hers from the 90s. <laughs> yeah, food for thought. It is kind of loser be I just think it's loser behavior to go up to a celebrity in general most times because I, I think it's an act of narcissism. It's I see you all the time but you never see me. So I'm taking advantage of this moment to get in your face and know and let you know that this is a two-way relationship. Meanwhile, it's not. And also, if everybody did that, they would have no time to themselves. So I fucking hate that. I would actually say that I like approaching people who like, if you're a writer or, you know, like, so people who, like, would even, like, talk to us, right? Not not to be meta about this. Sure. But if you approach – for the most part, like, people who listen to our show are smart. So when they approach us, they usually have something to say in response to something that we've said. Oh, I would actually say that is always the case for me. Yes. 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 Um, which is far different from approaching a mega pop star, which – what do, what do you have to say to Madonna besides, no. I dance in my bedroom to borderline. Like, okay, millions of right, people no, do that. No, I, I mean, I, I, what still buzzes in my head is when we had Peter Page on the show. And I, we asked, um, you know, man, I bet people come up to you all the time, every day, and talk about how you were instrumental in, in their coming out. And he's like, literally every day. And it's that's a lot for one person to take. You know, it's like, why are we, it's like, you're, you're putting a burden on them, you know, like handle my trauma, basically, you know. And in the case of someone like Madonna, I, I remember I had a friend once who was like, well, I wouldn't go up to a celebrity, but if I saw Madonna, I would have to. Faggot, why? Does she need to meet <laughs> one more gay person? No. No. I think that reminds me of something I tweeted when Angela Lansbury died. Uh, I was just like... Because everyone's, you know, like, Murder, She Wrote, and, like, these other things that meant so much to gays. And I was like... How many fucking coming out stories do you think Angela Lansbury has had to hear in her like almost a hundred <laughs> years of living? That bitch was probably tired of faggots. She sees what approaching. She's like, do not bring up Cabot Cove. Yeah. <laughs> Don't bring it's up like, Mame. I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she she's like, you know, it's like the prompter and whatever. And Blythe Spirit is like, can I just have a moment to talk about how hard it was for me? She's like, I gotta get this line right, and I'm wearing a turban. <laughs> so let's move on. Um, but she the one thing that actually seems to light Selena up though is her fans and i think by the end of it you get to an idea that she loves connecting with people you know her mental health struggles are very real 
um, and sort of harrowing in the documentary. Um, I wish we got more of them, actually. It's, there sort of starts when she has her psychotic break and, and the revival tour ends in 2016. And then we sort of jump forward to like 2019, even post, you know, the kidney transplant, you know? So it's just sort of like you miss these large chunks and you really hear her talking about it. And there's, some, you know, like a bunch of filler where she goes back to her hometown and is like walking through her school and talking to like old neighbors and things. And I'm like, okay, that like that that's what – um an MTV interview used to be for, right? Like that's yeah, that's right. not and that's not something that we need in a documentary on you. Um, let's move on from that. Um, but she, she, there's another moment too where she's just sort of like talks about how much philanthropy sort of means to her, and I actually believe it when she says that you know when she's done with all of this, she's going to mostly work on philanthropy. There's actually a moment where she the best moments of the documentary are where. Uh, Alex gets the moments that he got in like Truth or Dare from Madonna, where Selena's sort of like flippant with an interviewer or she leaves an interview and she's like, that was the dumbest fucking question. Like, I hate that shit. Like, never make me do that again. You know, there's yeah. a moment where someone she's she talks about like, I was being asked interesting questions, like the person who asked her what she'd want to do besides her career, and she says philanthropy. And then the interviewer's just sort of like, That's great. Thank you. And then Selena like leaves pissed off because she's like, there's no follow up to that whatsoever. It was it was just like, boom, getting through questions. And so that was interesting. No, I like seeing that, too, because I feel like a lot of people just expect these people to be perpetually, quote unquote, grateful, which means you don't have an opinion about anything. Basically, you just have to be up there and loving everything that happens to you. And um, yeah, people are unsympathetic to famous people megastars for one thing you know yes and also just not not taking two minutes to think about what is actually happening to them as all of this quote-unquote wonderful stuff is happening and also like even on the concept of being grateful it's they give us a lot too like i think people underestimate how much a song an album does for you that's sort of why i always really get mad at you know like um obviously conservatives and people like that or people who just sort of like um sort of knock like a film or a movie or an actor or like a musician it's just sort of like do you know how much movies and the tv that we watch and the music we consume like get us through our lives it's just very weird to think of it as superfluous and just be like not grateful for what artists give us. I mean, yeah. like, you mentioned Madonna, you know, Michael, like right. Michael Jackson, you know, like growing up on music, listening to it every day, that does something to you. It does something to your mental health. Like it gives you endorphins or what the fuck ever. Like music changes people's lives. So it's, no. it's very weird to then be like, well, you don't do anything for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. No, how is it superfluous if I want to spend all my time thinking about it and talking about it and listening to it? You know, it's just like, you're right. It's more than um, a leisurely activity. It's like, you know, when something is the quote unquote soundtrack of your life, that's beyond meaning. That's like your way of life, you know? Yeah, it's how you connect with your, it's like how you remember friends you have from high school. It's how people remember breakups. It's how people remember the passings of family members. Like, Music means a lot. So yes. um, I I connect with the thing of like, I connect with the idea that pop stars shouldn't feel like they are 
should be more grateful for like the fans that they have because they do right. a big service. Um, but I will say it's interesting seeing Selena sort of flippant and like sort of funny in this documentary, but then remembering how humorless she was during that like Saved by the Bell episode about her kidney, which didn't even oh, make fun right, of her right. kidney. Right, it was just a one-off joke, right? It was like one character said something and then they moved right along. It wasn't like the episode was about that. It was about how social media helps people remember things now in the way that like they can't recall facts. And by the end of the episode, like because all the kids' phones get taken away in the episode, by the end of the episode, like when the school devolves in the pandemonium, someone had scrawled on the wall, like, "Does Selena Gomez even have kidneys?" funny because yeah yeah it's funny um which brings us to this week <laughs> where yes the most humorless people on the internet are unfortunately selenators selenators i never know how to pronounce that it's a tough word selenators see yes. so yeah, selenators yeah senators <laughs> with an l in there yeah um because they're because rep- when the documentary came out um Selena thanked Taylor Swift as, you know, being her only friend in the industry. Um, And then Francia, the actress friend of hers who gave her her kidney in 2019, uh, responded, interesting, on like an E! News story, and then unfollowed Selena. Which, I think that is so, that's so ghetto on her part. To be honest, I'm sorry. Like publicly deciding to feud with Selena is wild yeah. to me. And also, it's like I just feel like it's an offhand comment. Like maybe if, if she's just talking about other superstars, you know, like yeah. you might think, oh, Selena's friends with all of these people at the top, Adele, etc. And it's just no, really, it's just Taylor Swift. I just didn't think it was that damning a quote, or it did make me. It did make me think, oh, the girl she got the kidney from, she hates her. Okay, I mean, like, we're not all sitting around talking about bring it on all or nothing, Francia. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay? She was on Grownish. Yes, and Secret Life okay, of the yeah. American Teenager, which I, we talked about, like, the other week. But come on, girl. No, but I'm still t- I'm talking more about Bristol Palin on Secret Life of the American Teenager. Exactly. Her, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. it, it was it, – I could get sort of being upset with her. If you feel like, you know, you're not getting your proper due or something, because I don't know, giving someone a kidney is a is a big ass deal. Imagine you have a falling out with a friend who gave a kidney to it's like they're not talking to you anymore, but you're literally like walking. Part of you is walking around inside (laughs) of them every day. You you thought you were being philanthropic, but in fact, your organs have betrayed you now there. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Uh, It's like Selena's Alicia Witt. In Urban Legend. <laughs> a reference that should come up way more often. Did I bring up Alicia Witt just last week? Did you? Maybe. I'm trying to think of what the context was. Oh, so oh, we were uh with our lovely guest host, we were talking. She thought the poster behind me was Sandy Dennis. Or pardon me, she mm. thought the poster was Sybil Shepherd. And I was like, mm. well, Alicia Witt was great on Sybil. Anyway, now yeah. you've heard backstage goss. This that's what goes on backstage <laughs> at Keep It. <laughs> a lot of talk about Sandy Dennis. Yes, right. Forcing it. Jake Lacey almost had to have a conversation with us about it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that moment, I found Francia's response sort of like wild. But I will say it is funny 
that she's picking a fight with Selena online um, over a kidney. It's funny, you know, yeah, and right. and the and you try to make a joke about it, and Selena's fans are just they they're, they're rabid. They're, How could you make fun of this? It's such a serious thing. It's like she's alive. Yeah, right. Also, she re- to respond interesting when you are down <laughs> a kidney. It's just like the the gulp that you can hear as she t- types that. Anyway, um, I think it's. I think it's a funny story, but I also do think it's wild to just sort of, you know, comment interesting on the story. Go, (laughs) we didn't need the beef to be public. Yes, I'm going to say charitably, she maybe wanted us all to have a laugh, and I've got to be honest, I had one, so. (laughs) All right, when we're back, it's time for Keep It. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis, what do you have to say about Reese Witherspoon? Oh, that's right. I I tease my Keep It. I love when I'm uh, theatrical. Uh, (laughs) My Keep It this week is about a list I otherwise support, which is uh, TV Line did a list of the 50 best HBO characters ever. And I just want to say, first of all, there are always so many lists of TV shows or movies or whatever Rating characters to me feels a bit more productive because it's it's more fun to compare them ultimately. Whereas I feel like with TV shows altogether, that's like a matter of taste. Like, why would you compare The Sopranos to Sex in the City? Like, why would you say one is better than the other? They're not the same thing at all. Whereas characters and performances, a little bit more fun to size up. You know, that's why those categories in the Oscars are the most fun. So your mantra is characters welcome. That's right, which I always forget. Is that USA or TBS? I think it's USA. Okay, yeah, I never get it right. Um, but on this list of the 50 greatest HBO characters ever, which, by the way, they're doing because HBO is 50 years old. I had no idea it went back that far. But um, Samantha Jones is number three on the list, and uh, uh, Miranda Hobbs is 30-something on the list, and Carrie Bradshaw is not on the list. We need to be reversing this narrative about Carrie Bradshaw being a, I guess, bad or selfish or whatever the narrative character is. I think she remains one of the best female characters ever and realistic. Like, people are find, like, character defects in women to be criminal or, like, if we don't point them out, we're endorsing them and, therefore, they're making us look bad because they get to be bad people and we don't want them to be – like, anyway – Carrie Bradshaw is the best part of Sex in the City. And I say this as somebody who identifies as Miranda Samantha Cusp in my personal life. Um, I just think SJP gave a, a performance that was so casually dimensional. She was so born to do it. Every role she did up until that point, including the wacky character ones, were leading to this character. I really think she packs a whole bunch of crazy qualities into a character that is otherwise relatable and she should be in the top three along with tony soprano and omar from the wire i love carrie bradshaw and i think that what's interesting is i view her in the way that you would sort of view like a tony soprano i mean look just read emily nussbaum's um new yorker essay about sex in the city which is still great to this day um but would would people call themselves like i'm a carrie you know, um, I don't think they ever mean it in the way that 
I mean it when I say I'm caring. I mean <laughs> it is- as a person who's a writer, but who's also sometimes self-involved and also um, ruins relationships with men. <laughs> right. Again, we can't help that Aiden was boring. Sorry. I know you wanted her to end up with Aiden, but I'm sorry. How many questions about carpentry do you have? Me? Zero. <laughs> Aiden was boring and an asshole. Yeah, he 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 had a sort when of... When he um, took her back, really, where it just seemed like he just wanted to punish her, was wild. Right. Um, and then, of course, we ran into him in Abu Dhabi, which I consider the nightmare of nightmares. Like, how did my ex find me here? But, <laughs> and now he's going to be on And Just Like That, which I think I'm finally going to finish the first season. Enough people have told me that it's a enjoyable bad watch. I I think I watched everything but one or two episodes. I mean, there, there I mean, there's truly a whole episode of that show where she's like, "Do I like my new amazing apartment?" I can't tell, but I will return to it. Mm. Okay. And where's Reese Witherspoon on the list? Oh, her character is on the list, and it's somewhere in the 30s. And I don't believe Nicole's character from Big Little Lies is on the list either, which upsets me. Mm. Where's Renata? Right. And also, that's somebody who would be reading the list, and she would be printing it out and showing it at a PTA meeting. I don't even see Renata on this list. Wow. Michael Osiello wants to hurt us. That's what's going on. Also, Schillinger is 49. He's the only character from Oz on there, too. Oh, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on with this list. Well, let's start a fight. Uh, let's get in the comments and be cruel. Spoiler alert. Mikey o- Michael Osiello is our enemy now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that movie. I hope it's good. Ira, what's your keep it this week? My keep it this week goes to keep it alum, Karamo. Uh, oh, no. I did not know we were doing this. I don't have the emotional bandwidth. <laughs> Go ahead. So he has a talk show now. Which already uh, I'm emotionally distressed. Go ahead. Have you seen clips from it? It's, basi- it's Maury. And it's basically a Maury spinoff. Because for a period, Karamo hosted a series of Mori episodes, and now it has sort of the same font. It's on After Mori. You know, it seems like it's a successor to take over the Mori mantle. And it's very much, um, you know, therapy buzzwords like accountability uh, uh-huh. and, you know, like um, take this step with me, you know, like, like shit that means nothing but works for some people. And also, it's a, it's the same variety as what he does on Queer Eye, where he's like, oh, you're feeling like you're not good at your job, or you're not getting the dates you want? Well, what if you did this tightrope course? That does not help me. Yeah. You know what helps me? When Beyonce says, release your job. Release the trade. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's definitive. <laughs> and it's not, you know, playing Legends of the Hidden Temple so you can um, get to an, an emotional place with your father. Right. No. <laughs> Break my soul should be the fifth queer eye guy. Yes. <laughs> um, although famously, I think all silver monkeys have daddy issues, but we'll get to Legends of the Hidden Temple on another show. Wow, you really um, took us to the heart room with that one. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, so on his show, he invited um, Chef P, um, the pink sauce lady, as she's known. And I don't know if you know this. Um, saga but basically she's a private chef in miami um and chef p her tiktok username um she created this sort of pink sauce which is a lot like you know 
when you get the bottled Thousand Island sauce from like Chick-fil-A or like In-N-Out, you know, it's like that kind of sauce, but it's pink. Um, she would put it on all her food and TikToks and really sort of like tease what does this taste like, but she wouldn't tell people what it tasted like, just that it was good, just that they'd have to buy it. So people were buying it this summer in droves from her TikTok, which is a great way to sort of like tease a business, you know? Here's the problem. She was shipping this stuff without any sort of like ice, like freezing the um, product or anything. And so people were getting, you know, this like spoiled shit to their home, which tasted nasty, not FDA approved. When she was accused of not doing things FDA approved, um, she had like another video where she was like, I'm not selling medical products, you know, like the FDA isn't involved. Uh, so this is who we're dealing with here. <laughs> this is this is a, a living poison ivy. She is yes. like, I'm getting this venom into your home and you're going to consume it and feel awful. Go ahead. So basically um, a customer, um, someone who criticized um, the pink sauce um, on their own TikTok or YouTube um, – the pink lady accused her of like harassing her, like ruining her um, business, um, you know, by being overly critical. Karamo brings them both onto his talk show to discuss the matter. Whose side do you think he was on? Oh my God, what? He Why? defends the pink lady because it's all this sort of bullshit about like, um, you know, um, not tearing each other down, you know, at the expense of accountability. Like that, that, like that, I feel like is a general mantra. And I get supporting other people, supporting a small business owner, but she was shipping people rancid products. <laughs> She's allowed to be dragged, you know? And the idea that, you know, basically this customer was made to feel like she was in the wrong and made um, Chef P a victim was so wild that the episode was pulled from YouTube. No way. It pulled from YouTube, wiped from the internet, and then it resurfaced on TikTok, which is kind of hilarious because there's a bunch of Gen Z people now um, on TikTok being like, who's Karamo? Yeah. <laughs> and I did right. not know I was that <laughs> removed from the general consciousness. But I will say there was the big splash for the first three years of Queer Eye. And now... When I see a new subsequent season or like three episode thing that they filmed is on um, Netflix, I'm like, oh, that's still on. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's still like a sensation for whatever the millennial viewership or older than millennial viewership that watches it. But um, first of all, the only pink lady I support is the 70s Variety Act that would be on like the gong show. And also, (laughs) um, of course, the pink ladies of Greece. Not all of them, but most of them. Didi Khan, that's what I'm talking about. But... um, yeah, what a perplexing story. Karamo to me has this problem of like wanting to seem not all knowing, but like moral and not having the self awareness to realize he's not done the math on this at all. Like he he's coming to simple conclusions that miss a huge point. Yeah. And a lot of people are tagging him, wanting a response um, to this episode being pulled, any sort of apology, and it's just pretending it it's pretending it didn't exist so it's just it's a very funny clip if you find it but maddening um because it really paints this awful businesswoman as a victim 
That's really shocking. I mean, just just to be like, can you get this label right? Can you prove you're not again? There are misspellings everybody? on the label. You know, it's it's just. I get it, and it's all rooted in this. You know, we should all lift each other up. We should all support one another. I mean, that was the whole thing with the Sean Spicer stuff, right? On Dancing with the Ugh. Stars, you know, like we should support one another. But some people don't need to be supported, and if you want to be supported, you should like do your job correctly. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Not try to kill people. Do the bare minimum of your job? Yeah. Yeah. Sick. All right. Well, that was really, really enraging. I'm almost sorry you even brought it up, but that's a good keep it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, that's our show this week. We ended up covering a lot, namely what's going on at the Bonsoir, which is a <laughs> lot. <laughs> you know, we got to do, we got to do keep it live from the Bonsoir. Is oh, the Bonsoir my God. still around? When you when you hear my version of "Come to the Supermarket" in Old Peking, you are going to fall out, listeners. If you know the Bonsoir is still around or like what it is now in the village, um, please let us know. Also, I have one last parting question for our listeners. I watched Rachel getting married on my plane, uh, and I, for some reason, in my brain had the notion that when she leaves the salon after the fight with her sister, um, that Anne Hathaway shows up with pink hair. And she does not. Oh, no. She has the dark hair, yeah. That kind of jagged, late 90s yeah. cut, yeah. She does not. And then I was like, maybe my brain was crossing wires from when she dyes Kate Hudson's hair blue in Bride Wars, but I need to know if I'm thinking of another film where Anne Hathaway has pink hair or if I'm thinking of another film where there's a dramatic pink hair reveal um, in it. Yeah, I'm sorry not to be able to solve that for you. I feel like that should come really easily to me. It's, it's not yeah. right now, but um, great movie. And also Deborah Winger in that movie, unforgettable. I feel like I'm, I hope it's a real thing and I hope it's not like that um, what's, Mandela what's the effect. Yeah, it's not one of those Mandela effect things like that fake genie movie or whatever. Yeah, Berenstein Bears spelled one way when it's not spelled that way, yeah. Yeah, anyway, listeners, tell me if I'm going crazy or not. (laughs) I'll I'll give you a head start. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. 
Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.